Many organizations struggle when it comes to communicating and realizing their business strategies. Many workers don't even understand the strategies in their own company. Welcome to the North Star with William Ulrich. Find out where your organization stands, what you might be doing right, and where you can improve. Now, here's your host, William Ulrich. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, William Ulrich. You're listening to the North Star. Feel free to contact me by email, LinkedIn, or at my website, tacticalstrategygroup.com. Before we get started today, in the spirit of full disclosure, I want to let listeners know that I am a minor participant in an, inv- in an investment group that is currently looking into investing into my guest company. So let's get started. Today, we'll be discussing improving corporate earnings via swarm intelligence with my guest, James Smith. James Smith is CEO of Enterprise Management Group with over 40 years of professional management experience. For the past 20 years, Jim has served as CEO and principal owner of Enterprise Management Group, a management consultancy specializing in corporate-wide expense reduction. He previously served in a series of senior management roles, including consulting CIO for Anvia.com, Puget Sound Energy, Micron Electronics, Northern States Power, and Wisconsin Energy. Jim established the Enterprise Project Management Organization for Principal Financial Group. He consults to C-suite executives to deliver dramatic reductions in corporate selling, general, and administrative expenses. You can reach Jim at jesmith at emgc.com. Welcome, Jim. Thanks for joining me today. Good morning. Glad, happy to be here. Good. Um, did you uh, want to share any other background on yourself just uh, as we, we get kicking off here? Uh, well, I spent most of my career in uh, for-profit IT centers, which gives me has given me a completely different perspective of technology because I always had to manage it on a P&L basis. Mm. Uh, so that's that's why the, the transition here from uh, technology to earnings improvement. I just want to comment on starting this off that uh, sometimes when you're talking about cost reduction, it's it's easy to forget that employees' lives are uh, affected by this. There's always layoffs when you do cost reduction, and I don't I don't deal with um, that part of it because it belongs to the client. They have their own uh, policies for layoffs, but in our business. Uh, no one's allowed to lay anybody off when we do one of these projects unless they can prove that the work has been eliminated. So I just didn't want to sound like I was being cavalier about layoffs. It's a very serious issue. Appreciate when you're that. doing yeah. cost reduction, it comes out. Sure. We uh, certainly appreciate that, that, uh, that backdrop. Um, so uh, to make sure we're on the same page, I just wanted to go through um, a brief overview of uh, some corporate spending categories in case people aren't really familiar with them. Uh, so, for example, uh, capital spending, uh, what I mentioned on the introduction, uh, selling general and administrative expenses. So can you give us just a, a, a brief insight into some of those uh, concepts or terms? Yeah, when you look at the income statement of most companies, they have a thing called cost of goods sold. Just think of that as the raw materials and the labor, the cost of the factory of pushing whatever it is they produce out the back door. SG&A or sales general administrative is all the overhead costs, uh, the payroll, the accounting department, the human resources department. Uh, those are all flexible costs. Capital is uh, refers to uh, investments IT projects, factories, that kind of thing. And when we are dealing with employees to them, 
every dollar is just a dollar. They, they really don't distinguish. But since we're doing earnings improvement, we can only focus on SG&A because those other cost categories really don't impact earnings. Okay, great. Uh, so let's talk about some, uh, uh, many people have been in, in any kind of business for any period of time are familiar with some sort of cost cutting. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the historical approaches to cost cutting. Um, I, I'm just going to uh, use a use a description here that um, there seems to be a tendency, at least when I see, I look at corporate cost cutting, and I, I've been in companies that have gone through this, uh, where they're using more of a dull hatchet uh, versus a scalpel in terms of uh, the exactness and the and the focus of of where they're cutting costs. So, uh, so what's your your experience and what you've seen in this area in terms of corporate cost cuttings? Well, the the hatchet approach, as you call it, is it always ends with horrible morale. Employees are always wondering uh, why did this get cut versus that. Uh, staff reduction has an impact uh, both on the people who are let go as well as the people who are left behind who have to do their work. And I don't think it ever comes out any differently than that. Uh, and, and CEOs really don't have a choice because there's no metric for them to assign different officers, different numbers. Uh, everybody kind of gets the same goal because there's just no metric. And what happens in that case is departments, high value departments, let's say they, they get a 10% cut and low-value departments get to keep 90%. What sense does that make? It doesn't make any sense, but they really don't have a way to distinguish. Right. So so you start, and we're certainly going to go through a number of the different uh, sort of ripple effects of, of some of these approaches to, to this brute force approach. Um, so you mentioned the CEO. So uh, these these cost-cutting efforts, again, historically that, that we've seen, uh, they typically come from the top, right? I've never seen one that wasn't a case where the officer staff led by the CEO, they look at the earnings and the board decides that they need to do something and they give them a number and they mm -hmm. look at it and where are we going to get 10% or 5%? So yeah, it's pretty much always from the top down. Yeah. And then you mentioned this, um, this approach to uh, program cost cutting. Um, where um, everybody's given a, a target of, let's say, 10%, as you said, right? And, and you do this across the board cutting to um, whether it's business areas or business units or programs, right? So um, I want to talk about that for a minute. I mean, uh, what, what do you think is the, um, is the reasoning behind that, that approach or that thinking? Well, it's what I just said. There's no metric. Put yourself in the CEO's position. He looks across the table at his officers. How does he decide which ones to give what number and what's going to happen to the morale of the officer team if one guy gets 90%, which would never happen, but it could, and it should, and, and somebody else gets 10%. It's, it's actually quite arbitrary. Okay. And, and then we, we do see um, good programs in, in many cases, even programs, and, and I personally have seen this more than a few times, programs that are meant to um, help drive revenue or are in and of themselves helping, helping reduce, uh, reduce costs, right? You see those types of programs, all of a sudden, they're either cut entirely or they're, they're decimated by the, uh, by the cuts, right? Yeah, it's usually because there's no, again, there's no metric to decide uh, whether they're really working, um, especially in marketing. That's a really tough one. 
but uh, our observation is, I'm going to use a term here that seems disrespectful, but our observation is the corporate bully always gets the lion's share. Mm-hmm. There's, there's always one or two people who are just a little stronger, a little more uh, forceful than the rest of the, the folks, and they, they tend to get the lion's share, notwithstanding it's justified. Right. Um, and I've, I've seen uh, another element to this. So, so l- let me talk about the, you mentioned morale. And um, if you're in a program that's, uh, let's say, um, it, you, you thought it was a good program, you had a commitment to it, you, maybe you were beginning to demonstrate some results in terms of um, either revenue generation or customer improvements or, or cost, cost reductions, and now all of a sudden, um, you know, eight of your team members are gone, right, right, that you consider to be essential to the work, right? So now you're expected to continue working in some capacity. So there's a, um, a whole factor here in terms of people and the impact on these people, right? Oh, sure. But in our case, again, from my comment at the opening, um, you can't let somebody go unless the work went away. Mm-hmm. So our entire focus is on making the work go away. The employees come as a result of that, not the right. other way around. Right. So, so we, we yeah. kind of protect protect that from uh, we protect the uh, the manager from that perspective yeah and and I do want to get to that approach I'm uh, I want to just take a, a couple more minutes and just make sure we're everybody sort of if, if people haven't worked in a corporate environment they understand uh, sometimes what's happening when you're hearing that that these cuts are happening and uh, um, I think I also want to talk as, as we go through today the about maybe a merger acquisition situation but Another area I've seen, and I've, I've again, personal experience with this, uh, you know, they, they were cutting. I saw one organization was going to cut out, again, across the board, n- not understanding people's skills and abilities and getting rid of what, what turned out to be, you know, they kept them because uh, I intervened, but what turned out to be one of their top sales guys. Uh, or, you know, talking about launching a marketing program and getting rid of one of their top marketing guys. And um, uh, just a, a friend of mine, who was offered again in one of these cost-cutting efforts? You see these early retirement offerings, and um, they, again, they, there's some expectation that uh, the people you want to leave are going to leave, and the people you want to stay are going to stay. And um, she got an offer she couldn't refuse. And when she went in and told her, uh, and and she was pretty far up the chain, when she went in and and told her executive, um, he was devastated because she was actually one of the people that was responsible for incredible cost savings in, in, the, in the purchasing area. And um, so you start seeing good people get up and walk out the door and losing top talent in these situations, right? And so is that, is that an experience you've seen? You know, it's, I've seen it, but I've not experienced it with a client. Mm-hmm. And from my perspective, having done this in so many different cultures for so long, that's just plain stupid. <laughs> it's what happened when you do that is that's the easy solution. It costs a lot of money because, you know, that, that expense is, go, uh, is going to be carried forward for quite some time. But it's really easy to buy people off. That's, that shouldn't be the objective. The objective should be in changing the cost structure. Mm-hmm. And there's so much out there that can be done. I just, I just think that's a, that's a cop-out. Yeah, it's agreed. just easy yeah. for executives to deal with that. Buy somebody to go away. Right. 
Uh, unfortunately, because they have to offer it across the board, right? Your top talent can walk yep. out the door as part of that. And, and my experience is that, that a lot of times the people you think or you want to leave end up staying, right? Um, yep. the, uh, the continuation of programs in, or in business areas that are not producing, that are not delivering, that are, that are wasting money, right? They, they uh, you know, when you go across the board cuts, um, you end up keeping a lot of these programs alive. Um, you know, again, as you said, there's no metric, but um, you've got another impact here in that you're, you're continuing to waste money on things that aren't delivering um, in spite of the fact that you just went through some big cost cutting, right? You see that? Oh, well, I think ev- almost everyone, I think all of them actually, of our projects have followed failed cost cutting projects. Mm. Um, the, and we see that. In other mm-hmm. words, in one company, and then our largest client, where we cut out $300 million. They had a year-long project sponsored by the CEO, but he wasn't really involved. And in in a year, they came up with $25 million. Mm. Uh, in the first six weeks of our 10-week program, we came up with $90 million. Okay. What happened? Well, all the politics, the culture, and the siloed guys, the bullies, and the, uh, they all disappeared because no one wanted to stop something that made sense once the employees as we call it, swarm intelligence kicked in. Right. So, so let's say when you look, so, so now you come into companies and um, uh, you're looking for, you know, and, and they're bringing you in for a reason because it has to do with, with that, that spending reduction, right? So, um, so how do you open up the conversation in terms of where those organizations should focus their efforts? Uh, well, basically, we're selling to the CEO, and that's mm-hmm. where we open exclusively. That's where we open the conversation. And, you know, what we're offering is a process. We're not consulting. Mm-hmm. That is not our, our function. Our function is to put the CEO on the forefront of the, of the project and give him or her a process to follow that gets rid of all the stuff we've talked, all the blockages we've talked about so far. And uh, we do that by scripting a five-minute uh, video for the CEO to ask the employees a single question. And that's the beginning. Then the process kicks in, and we collect the data, and we vet it. And when we find something worthwhile, we take it to that manager, even an executive, and he or she pretty much has to do it. If they don't want to do it, that's where the CEO comes in. And the, the subject, when we have a disagreement, ends up on the CEO's staff meeting agenda. Okay. I might point out that in, 20, in 25 years, only one ever happened that way. <laughs> um, yeah, good. So, um, so, when you're, so when you approach a CEO, um, they, they've, they may have um, tried a cost-cutting and failed. Uh, maybe they've done it somewhere else. Maybe they haven't done it. So may, maybe they're they're trying to think of, of ways to do this. So you're you're going to be selling some benefits of an approach, right? Um, now we talked about some of the downsides, historical downsides that people run into when they're going through these cost cuttings of you know 
good people leaving, uh, morale dropping, good programs being cut, bad programs being elongated. Do you go through that with them? I mean, there, there's there's got to be some kind of you know rhyme or reason. Somebody might say, well, you know, what, what's wrong with the way we've been doing it? Uh, why what what's this going to give me? It's better. So, can can you talk a little bit about those kind of ideas? Sure. At the risk of oversimplifying it, basically we go in, I go in, and present the CEO and the officers with uh, the process. It's a 15-minute slide presentation, and we always require an hour. And then the uh, the balance of the hour is for questions, and I actually I think more of them are challenges than questions because nobody has seen anything like this. They can't quite believe it. Uh, it works, but in effect, uh, the you know we're just getting rid of the blockages and letting employees' uh, data, you know, flow to the top without being obscured by politics and and culture. And uh, one of the side benefits of this process is that uh, employee engagement just goes through the roof, and it goes through the roof because, frankly, they never thought ever thought management would do some of the things that are, are being done and they're being done almost in real time. Right. And, and so that is a, that's, that's a huge benefit, right? So morale in this approach goes up and, um, uh, it, and, and some of the other ideal kind of scenarios are that the programs that are underperforming, which people don't have a tendency to say anything about that do end up getting, uh, getting getting looked at carefully and and probably um, either dramatically reduced or maybe even eliminated, right? Uh, very frequently, uh, when we go back and look at the twenty five years worth of data and categorize this stuff, trying to see a come up with a trend, mm -hmm. um, the trend that we see is that a the vast majority of the expense reductions are eliminating that expense completely. In other words, whatever was generating that expense, the employees point out, you know, that it's it's gone. Okay. And that's why our fees, which 75% of our fees are based on the impact on the income statement that the client decides. We get no say in what that final fee is whatsoever. Um, it's sustainable reductions mm -hmm. to STNA. In other words, if you cut out training and vacate or holiday incentives and the water, the bottled water on each floor, those things are going to come back. Those aren't sustainable. Mm -hmm. uh, cutting out contributions to 401k, that's not sustainable. In our case, we only get paid based on reductions that the client decides are sustainable. In other words, that expense is gone. Okay. Now, I'm going to take a Jim. I'm, I'm uh, sorry. I, I'm, I was going to take a uh, just jump in and take a quick break, and and then we'll uh, we'll get back. We we got we got two more good segments here, so we're going to be able to dig in pretty deep to what you're telling us. So, um, uh, we'll we'll be back in a second. So you're listening to the North Star. I'm William Ulrich. Uh, we're discussing improving corporate earnings via swarm intelligence with my guest Jim Smith. You can contact Jim at. J.E. Smith at emgc.com, and we'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Are you having trouble articulating your strategic objectives? 
Not sure if your program investments are aligned to your strategic vision? Wondering why your six, seven, and eight-figure program investments seem to evaporate into thin air, even as your business teams are left to add more people, take on more risk, and take heat from unhappy customers? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich can help ensure that your strategic objectives translate into sustainable, successful investments. For more information, visit our website at tacticalstrategygroup.com. Partner Up with Amy Carroll focuses on getting more of what you want and need more easily with less difficulty. While this applies to business, it can be used for just about everything, from relationships to leadership. You'll hear stories and tips to uplevel your communication and mindset, to gain confidence and inspire action by making your partner look good, conflicts dissolve and results improve. Partner Up with Amy Carroll is heard every Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central European Time on Voice America Business. Business news and discussions are always changing. In order to stay ahead of the game, sometimes you need to be a follower. You can follow the Voice America Business channel on Twitter at Voice AM Business. Again, that's at Voice AM Business. And stay current. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to the North Star. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to WMMulrich at TSGConsultingInc.com. That's WMMulrich at TSGConsultingInc.com. Now, back to the North Star. Here again is William Ulrich. Welcome back to the North Star. I'm William Ulrich. You can reach me by LinkedIn email or at my website. We're discussing improving corporate earnings via swarm intelligence with my guest, Jim Smith. Uh, Jim, uh, before the break, I know you were giving us some, some insights into the, uh, to the overall approach. Um, what, what I wanted to just uh, push a little bit on um, you know, the, the CEO and then usually in these, in these first meetings or second meetings, uh, you've got a leadership team. Uh, that's engaged as well, and uh, some of those leaders are going to be some of the uh, some of the people who are going to see uh, big cuts in in their uh, in their budgets or in other areas. So um, it, when you're with the CEO and and the leadership team, right? I mean, is is there a different way of talking with the leadership team than than with your um, uh, with the CEO or or you know? Why don't you tell us what some of the kinds of pushback you get? Um, on some of these issues? Yeah, we, I often get asked, would I talk to a CFO or some other executive? And we used to do that. We don't do that at all anymore because as soon as uh, an executive hears this process, they realize almost immediately that they're going to lose a lot of uh, freedom in this process and they don't want any part of it. So I, I have never presented to just the CEO. It's always been the CEO and the officers. That's why I keep it to 15 minutes in slides because in the next 45 minutes, and it's been, it's gone longer than an hour at their urging. Uh, I said earlier that the questions are more like challenges. There's a lot of people sitting at that table that don't want to do this. You're absolutely right. I mean, they realize that something's going to happen here that they won't be in, in control of. And our attitude is, well, that's as it should be, because in the end, uh, the facts should determine who gets what. 
And uh, the way to look at this is, what company have you ever heard that has an executive in charge of the rearview mirror? <laughs> Everybody's focused on the next quarter, especially right. after a merger. The winners and the losers are kind of decided upon, and the winners are instantly like a laser beam focused on the next quarter. What the employees see is all the stuff they promised to do leading up to the merger never gets done. Well, with this approach, all of that stuff comes to the surface. That, that's that's so, great. Yeah, the, that's good. Yeah, Go the CEO has to see the, has to believe, you know, and they have to check our references, of course. But, mm. you know, when you're pitching $300 million in 10 weeks, it's really hard to ignore that if they can't find the chink in the armor. Right, right. So, um, so you're presenting the swarm approach, and uh, you are talking to um, you all. Just, you're explaining to the CEO, and, and you said you're going to give them a, a question. And this is for um, really the, the um, that you're going to engage the rank and file employees, right? So, so how do how do you go about that? Well, we script a five minute video that the CEO asks the employees a single question. That's it. That's the, that's the survey for this whole thing. Nothing is off the table. It has a financial focus. But in that five-minute video, the CEO says, you know, basically anything you think that's getting in the way of us being more successful. Now, we, we engage with the whole company for the whole 10 weeks. In other words, we're, we're meeting with executives, managers, employees every day. And, you know, a, a phrase, it sounds unprofessional, but this is what we hear all the time, is how do we get rid of this bullshit? Well, what's that? Hundreds of policies get killed or altered. And, uh, you know, we do it every day. In other words, if an idea comes in today and it's a, it's a stupid idea to be doing X, Y, and Z, well, from an investor's point of view, isn't it stupid to still be doing it tomorrow? And that's what most companies really struggle with is making decisions. But again, we've vetted all this stuff and the CEO's keeping score and it has to happen, you know, right away. In one case, uh, three weeks into a project with 23,000 employees, um, the overwhelming objections because layoffs were already announced was the, the number of airplanes the company had. Well, we presented that to the office of the chair meeting saying that the employees hated that, that they're going to, we're going to lay off 3000 employees. Meanwhile, you guys are flying around in a fleet of jets. Well, that CEO made a decision that day to sell the jets and input from employees in seven days went from 800 to 4,700. They're paying attention. Mm. And that's what you have to do. Get their attention. That's good. So um, the, the question uh, in the video that the CEO puts forth. Um, can, you, can you give that to us or, or paraphrase it in some way? I will paraphrase it because it's, it's kind of a piece of our IP, but I'm sure. going to come very close to it. Basically, the CEO in that five-minute video explains why he's doing this. In other words, earnings are under pressure, and that's almost always the reason. And he thanks them for all their hard work and sacrifices, but we got to do more. And to that end, uh, we've hired EMG uh, to collect this data uh, from my question. And my question is, tell me the 10 stupidest things we do in this company. Mm -hmm. Now, 
that sounds unprofessional, but think about it from the employee's perspective. Nobody's ever said that to them before. Now you couple that question with the fact, like in the case of the Jets, where somebody did something that big. I mean, talk about a sacred cow, the executive's Jets. And all of a sudden, the, the input just goes exponential. And to the extent that the ideas are executed every day, something is, and announced, it just gets heavier and heavier and heavier. In fact, sometimes we have a hard time shutting this thing down at the end of 10 weeks. But mm. because we give them the process and put two of their employees on our team while we're doing this, they can keep it going if they want without us there. Right. Now, um, uh, I certainly have talked to lots of people who have said this is a really dumb thing. It's never going to work. And uh, I'm guessing you get uh, a lot of that kind of input. You said in one organization you were just saying, um, you know, that the number of uh, employee uh, contributions or, or feedback that you got was started running into the several thousand, right? Some well, in numbers. that case, uh, it, you know, in that case, it was ten thousand. Okay. And after eliminating duplications and issues that affected uh, regulatory or safety or customer service, uh, boiling all that down, it came to three thousand nine hundred. That's what mm-hmm. they took on. And people say to me, "That's impossible. No company can handle, you know, thirty nine hundred issues." Well, yeah, yeah, they can. If you think about Every manager out of with 23,000 employees, you probably got about 5,000 managers. 3,900 3, isn't that big when it's spread across the entire enterprise. Right, right. That makes sense. A large organization, you, you, you're not talking about doing this at the top again. You're talking about doing it at the, at the rank and file level. Um, it, when you do get duplicates and you start to see um, uh, something showing up over and over again, is that something that – uh, you try to highlight, in other words, this thing must be really bad because we've got, you know, 15 or 20 different people, you know, recommended that we do this. Part of this process is that I attend the CEO staff meeting every week mm-hmm. and I give them an update. And we have this bar graph that shows each officer's goal in, you know, a vertical bar in red. And then coming up from the bottom, the green is what they've already agreed to do. And so every week, I get five minutes to explain what's going on. And that's where that jet thing came from. I think out of 800 suggestions, almost 200 of them were about the airplanes. But oh, okay. it doesn't Got matter it. how many, it does not matter how many there are. If mm-hmm. it's a good idea and only one person has it, it still gets executed. Good. Um, so now just, which may be obvious to everybody, but I just want to uh, sort of have you express it a little bit more. Um, employees see things that executives don't, right? Is that, and because they're on the ground and the executives aren't, right? So that's been an experience you've you've seen over and over again. Right. Okay. uh, We kind of fondly refer to it as the employees know where every skeleton is in every closet. Mm -hmm. They just don't know it's okay to say it. And, And, you know, the answers to the CEO's questions, of course, are anonymous. We don't know who, who said it. Right. Uh, some people proudly put their names on stuff, which really helps us because we can get more information. But we go to huge lengths to protect the identity of whoever suggested any of this stuff. So uh, we've never had a case where um, that was a problem. And Good. we spend a lot of yeah. time convincing employees of that. 
That's good because you never know what people are going to think. Um, so now the results start happening, and you mentioned your 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 green your uh, your your tracking metrics, and you've got things things in green have already been been addressed. So the the recommendations start getting taken uh, taken up and and acted upon uh, right away. Is that fair? That's exactly right. We call it shooting sacred cows. And while that, you know, most CEOs get that right off the bat. And we're, and we're very frank when we start one of these things. Until something brave is done, this isn't any, anything different than the employee suggestion surveys that HR does. Uh, in the case of that large client uh, that had a year of $24 million, as I think I said before, we were at 90 million at the end of the sixth week. Mm. These are not trivial things. These actions, that green that's climbing up that red bar, if you visualize it, those are going to be part of the business plan that, that ends with this thing. And those numbers are going to be used for the next analyst discussion. These are not trivial issues for a public company. Mm. All right. So, so right. Some of these things they actually have they report on in their uh, uh, in their analyst meetings. Oh, they have to. They, yeah. they, there's no way around it. If you're going to cut, if you're making any decision that's going to affect the income statement and earnings, mm-hmm. you've got to disclose it. Uh, good. So uh, you were talking about results, and and you've uh, you put some numbers out there, but I want to talk a little more about that. So you know you're talking okay. about saving savings in the tens of millions. Now, depending on the company, obviously that varies. So can can you share a little more on that? Well, uh, one large insurance company, which was a mutual insurance company, uh, they wanted to do an IPO, and they had struggled with their margins to the extent that the underwriters really were telling them, don't do it until you get control of expenses. Uh, at every one of our large projects, we've gone up against some segment of the top five or six consulting management consulting companies, and we've won every single one. In this case, uh, we, we won against three of the biggest companies. And in only eight weeks, our normal project is 10 weeks, we came up with the number they needed and the IPO went forward, I think four months later. Mm. So uh, um, that was a big number. That wasn't really a big number. It was, I think 35 million, but for them, it was a really big number. Others have been much smaller because the company is smaller, but the 10% of SGNA seems to be a fairly consistent number. Ah, that's that's can be really substantial for these larger organizations, right? Yeah, it, it well, it is. Uh, yeah. uh, the the big company stock was seventeen when we did that project. Six months mm-hmm. later, it was this is a utility not known for surges in the market. No, it was no. eighty year old utility. Uh, six months later, it was thirty four, and today it's in the nineties. Yeah, to impact the utility um, where they've been doing like a lot of the same work and, and aren't necessarily always in the bleeding edge of, of, of a lot of things, right, including technology, that, that's, that is impressive. Um, I want to talk about, uh, you, you talk about um, the, the senior reports, uh, the, the executive vice presidents, that type of thing. They're starting to go down 
different uh, divisions, uh, you know, business units, silos, right? Um, so it's, you start to see a lot of this uh, sort of uh, cultural, you might see this political uh, or cultural blowback on some of, the, some of what you're suggesting here, right? So um, you said that there have been situations where, um, you know, one of the senior people or somebody in the middle somewhere didn't want to take up a suggestion. And, uh, and, and that ends up rippling back up to the top. Can you, can you share a little bit more about how, how that has occurred? Yeah, this is all done in the very beginning uh, at the CEO and officer level. And then we attend staff meetings downward through the organization where the rules are explained. So our, our people, our facilitators, if you will, uh, get to rely on that understanding that there's this rule. So we never get to vote on anything. Uh, if we reach an impasse with an executive, we just claim that while well, we've reached that impasse, uh, we're going to escalate it. Mm-hmm. And there's some, there's some name calling, there's some threats because they've never been confronted with that coming from an outsider. But again, it's all explained up front and uh, it's a, a transparency issue. It's just human nature. Nobody's going to go in front of their boss and their peers and try to sell a stupid idea. So you can imagine the pressure we're under to not be wrong, because if we're wrong, this whole thing could shut down. So obviously we're not cavalier about this at all. We're, we're damn certain that this is the right thing to do before we pull that trigger. And as I said earlier, only one in 25 years has ever gone to the CEO staff meeting. And it was a horrible situation for that person. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, yeah. I think that's all, it's all human nature. It's just what's good for me. Right. Uh, absolutely. And, and so I, I'm glad you shared that because th- this, is, this is exactly what people are probably wondering about out there. I'm going to take uh, our second break here. You're listening to the North Star. I'm William Ulrich. We're discussing improving corporate earnings via swarm intelligence with my guest, Jim Smith. You can contact Jim at jesmith at emgc.com. We'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Looking to enhance your business architecture skills? Become a certified business architect or align your team to a common approach. Check out Business Architecture Associates. Industry pioneers and co-founders Wendy Keen and William Ulrich have trained thousands of business professionals, turning beginners into practitioners and practitioners into experts. BAA offers in-house and public business architecture training for individuals and organizations with more than 20 courses to choose from, including the Business Architecture Bootcamp, popular mini-course series, and custom workshops. BAA can create a learning path for you and your organization. Why learn from the rest when you can learn from the best? Check out BAA's course offerings at businessarchitectureassociates.com. Say It Skillfully is my new radio show about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said. This is your host, Molly Chang. Call in and I'll help you find the right words to tackle any difficult conversation or ticklish situation you've been avoiding. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Join me live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to the North Star. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to WMMUlrich at TSGConsultingInc.com. That's WMMUlrich at TSGConsultingInc.com. Now, back to the North Star. Here again is William Ulrich. Welcome back to the North Star. I'm, I'm William Ulrich. We're discussing improving corporate earnings via swarm intelligence with my guest, Jim Smith. Uh, Jim, um, uh, as we went into the, uh, the break there, um, uh, the question that came up in my mind is, um, uh, is some, some organization going to think, hey, I, I, I can do this. You know, this sounds pretty easy. Um, why don't I just try this myself? Why do I need to, uh, to pay people to do this? So have you run into that or what do you, what's your thoughts on that? We ran into it one time and uh, we changed our whole billing approach to having them make a deposit to protect our IP and then a bonus at the end, 75% based on the results. So one client did it, very unethical company, uh, sent us home and tried it on their own, and it was an abysmal failure. Uh, if you think about it, the, the process that we've designed is what makes this thing work. And it makes it work because the politics and the culture have play no role in this thing. We can literally shut them down. You can't do that internally. No one could have a career. HR does a lot of this stuff called employee engagement. But if you think about it, what CHRO is going to have a career if every time the employee suggestions coming in uh, are challenging what a VP wants to do? They go to the VP. VP says, no, that's pretty much the end of it. How many CHROs would have a career if they then, every time that happened, took the debate to the CEO to debate one of their peers? Never would happen. Right. Um, So, so, uh, um, I, I want to talk about your third-party facilitator role, and um, and and get into a little bit more of that. So, so what's what's your team doing as as you're getting into this whole effort? We start off with an off uh, with a meeting with uh, it's like an all hands meeting for managers. Anybody who has a budget has to attend this meeting where we explain what the ground rules are. The CEO introduces it. Uh, and goes through his or her plan and uh, explains our role, and then I answer questions. As soon as that's over, then we contact, we marry our people up with each officer, and we have that same meeting down each organization at least three levels. So by the time we get down to the third level, everybody knows that at the end of this, they're going to have to give a presentation where they are selling their ability to run their department without that that number, whatever it is. It starts out as 10%. It's just a placeholder. But in the end, the number is whatever the employees 
data suggests it should be. Some people, it's the entire department is gone. Hmm. Wow. Um, so the, as, as uh, one would be viewing this then as from the outside in, um, what, what, and I, I, I'm guessing there's maybe, maybe there's no typical engagement, but the size of your team probably varies by the size of the enterprise you're dealing with, but what, um, you know, maybe you could share what, what a typical, uh, number of team members you've had on some of these engagements, uh, over the years. Uh, 10 to two. So in the case of the 300 million, that was 10 people, uh, two people, uh, two senior uh, facilitators lined up with each officer. And uh, in smaller companies, uh, we've done as, as few. Well, with that insurance company where we got them to go public, it was just three people uh, created that $35 million in savings. Mm-hmm. So there's, there is no typical. I have to look at the org chart and discuss with the CEO the relationships, and then we assign uh, the people we think, or I think, are the right people to line up with each officer. It seems like there's a lot of interaction here um, with the, uh, you know, with 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 the last year and a half, and and looking at organizations that have gone more virtual. Um, have have is the business model shifted or looked at shifting to address some of the virtual, uh, you know, non-in-person challenges that are out there? Yeah, we're struggling. The the one part we're struggling with is the broader issue of interacting with the employees. Uh, Zoom uh, can be used, but the problem with Zoom is it's not anonymous between mm. the uh, the people participating. So yeah, we're struggling with that uh, just a bit. But um, we're working on a uh, a security process which would allow people to ask us questions and we could respond to them uh, guaranteeing their anonymity. And I think that's going to work just fine. Yeah. I would guess you could set something up to, uh, to deal with, with these types of things. Um, And, and I would think for a, uh, you know, also for, you know, a global company or one with, uh, you know, multiple divisions out there uh, that, that, that would be beneficial as well. Even even if you could go to all the places where they exist, but people are so spread out these days. I'm I'm always amazed. Right. Well, we have done this with, uh, you know, holding companies where they mm-hmm. own, let's say, seven businesses uh, that weren't even similar in nature, and we're all over the country. And we didn't have to go to each of those locations. Uh, that big utility had quite an extensive. Uh, uh, play in the UK, and we had the same impact there, but none of us went to the UK. Another utility uh, down in the Midwest had a much larger play in the UK, and we, in that case, we actually did go to Newcastle and spend a few weeks embedding ourselves with the employees. So it, it's, mm. there's there's no normal, I guess, is the best answer. Let me. Uh, I, I want to ask him. Uh, curious about. Uh, your your team engagement with the folks, you know these these let's say executives, um, and and I know you do tend to split some of the team up along those different lines. So uh, the suggestions roll in, you scrub them uh, really well, and you've got some good ones that uh, you know are that you've boiled it down to. Now you take those to the uh, an executive um, to take action on it. Is that how it works? 
we take it to the person responsible for that cost. Okay. Uh, by the way, if I didn't mention this before, uh, a lot of stuff that comes in has absolutely nothing to do with cost. Mm-hmm. If it's a stupid idea, uh, some of this stuff is risk-based where management can't even believe this thing has been going on for a couple of years and nobody's ever raised it. And it represents a huge risk to the corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I had one CEO uh, who was a reference uh, check another CEOs. And I said, well, is it okay? And he says, well, he said something really peculiar. And I said, what was that? And he says, I asked him the nature of the cost cutting ideas. What were some of the ideas? What's the nature? And the other CEO said, well, they're head slappers. And of course, the asking CEO says, what the hell does that mean? And he says, when you see what the thing is and how long it's been going on and how little value you have, your first reaction is to slap your hand or your forehead and say, what the hell's going on here? Right. And, and then when we, when we look at the stuff, yeah, a lot of it's really dumb. I mean, it really is. But it started off as a great idea five years ago with a, two employees. Then it grew to 10 and it needed a supervisor. Grew to 20 and it needed a manager and two supervisors. <laughs> and no one ever said, hey, wait a minute. Does that still make sense five years later? Well, that's what the employees are telling them. No, it doesn't make sense. That's great. That, that's, that's an excellent example because these things, they take on lives of their own and nobody knows how to, how to stop them. Uh, and, and, you know, and we make a big deal about no punitive work here. In other words, we really don't want anybody worrying about who did this or why. It's just exists. Take care of it. And, and that really helps when we have a CEO realize that there can't be any punitive stuff here. Now, if somebody's breaking the law, we have moral issues that we take to HR and to legal. Uh, those things, there could be consequences. But for the most part, we're not interested in consequences. Just fixing it. Right, right. So, uh, and as you're reporting back up, and, and I know you've got your, your green-red meter running, um, do you, um, uh, well, one is that the employees find out about the good things happening. Is it then, you mentioned that earlier, but uh, can you share a little more on that? Every day, whenever an action is taken, the communications department, uh, which is usually buried somewhere in HR, sometimes marketing, but every decision that's made is issued as an employee-wide broadcast, uh, and many of them can come from the CEO. We encourage that, Uh, thanking them, the employees, for their input, and we've done this. So remember my, my comment about sacred cows. We need things to be happening or this thing drops off a cliff. Uh, and with announcing stuff every day, every week, uh, the employees go, wow, I never thought they'd do that. Well, let me add this one. And, and that's what sustains the volume growth that, that, you know, in that one company's case, got us to 10,000. Right. And, and you time boxes, um, I think you said that you put them into certain time windows, the whole engagement. Yeah, it's, it's 10 weeks. That's arbitrary, uh, but we need people to stay focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally, we didn't have a, we just let it go, and that was a crazy thing. Uh, plus, it cost me a fortune to, to just have this thing drag on because I'm paying, you know, the consultants for their time and the travel costs right. uh, without issuing any invoices. So uh, we need them to stay focused. Uh, in one case, the 10 weeks grew to like 14 because 
Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's all mm. fell in the middle. And for all intent and purpose, the company yeah. shut down for those four weeks. So, right. Yeah, you do have to accommodate that. But again, like, it's yeah. Yeah, it's it's to, it's to maintain focus. That's all. Good. Um, so uh, and and you know, I know you set you set some targets initially. Um, of I think at one point you said ten percent, but these are targets that you've exceeded in 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 some efforts. Well, in one case, the company had never done cost cutting since its inception, and the CEO mm. insisted on twenty percent, mm. and that that was uh, that made me really uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but he he was right. We got eighteen. So, mm. you know, like I said earlier, it's pretty much an arbitrary number, but it has to be it has to be reasonable, or people just give up hope. Right, right. I think it's 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 what it is is what it is. But I think your general experience, though, is um, there's a lot of I don't want to call it low hanging fruit. That might not be a good description, but there's a lot out there. Uh, that op- opens up opportunities for these these cost reductions, right? Yeah, the best way to look at this is we talk about that 10%. We call that a task. Mm-hmm. Every budget owner has a task of 10%. This whole thing ends with every one of those budget managers giving a presentation, uh, hopefully including the CEO. It's a great, great exposure for these people where they are selling their ability to execute these expense reductions, not justifying the spending, but selling their ability. And in the end, uh, some company or some groups end up with zero reduction because the consequences to the enterprise uh, made it impossible or irresponsible to make those cuts. Other people sadly are losing whole departments because that's what the data set to do. Right. So we start with 10%. But in the end, there is no normal. It's whatever makes the most sense. Seems perfectly logical today. So um, we are going to come into the close here. Uh, my guest today has been uh, Jim Smith of Enterprise Management Group. We've been discussing improving corporate earnings versus via Swarm Intelligence. You can reach Jim at jesmith at emgc.com. You can find links to the topics uh, related to the discussion today on the North Star Radio Show page at my website, technicalstrategygroup.com. Thank you, Jim, for sharing your insights today. They were uh, excellent and uh, I would say um, unique and valuable. Um, my guest next week will be Wendy Keene. We'll be discussing architecting for good, making a social impact. You've been listening to the North Star. I'm your host, William Ulrich. You can contact me by email, LinkedIn, or at my website. Thanks for joining me today and I'll talk to you all next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to the North Star. Please join host William Ulrich for another edition of the program next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll continue our discussion on strategy execution then. 